So in very sarcastic fashion, there's an internet meme that has made its way around, and maybe you've seen it before. Um, but after the Atlanta Falcons' um, heartbreak blew it in uh, the Super Bowl, um, you know, you go online and you vent, okay? And so the meme that is usually made in response, uh, after I have clearly made it seem that I was upset over the loss, someone might post this on my Facebook page. Picture Tom Brady, you mad bro, all right? Uh, and so there's this element to, it's a sarcastic question because of course I've already explained that I'm mad. Uh, they probably would have posted it like this back in the 16, 1700s. They would have asked it this way, art thou irate, brethren? Um, and I actually, I actually saw this time, and I love it because I'm a Superman fan, but this was the one that somebody posted on my wall one time. You mad? Here's a cape. Now you can be super mad. Uh, <laughs> right? The question, you mad, bro, uh, is an automatic response to somebody who's already raged out on social media. Like, you've made it clear that you're mad. And it, to make things worse, somebody asks you a completely ridiculous ironic question of, are you mad? And it is not a good thing. Um, but in the last year, I've seen memes, the, the grumpy cat memes, you know, the angry, uh, the anger memes. There is a whole meme, rage face. I mean, if you're, you, you know what meme I'm talking about, the rage face. It's the, I am completely irate. There are videos uh, and they're everywhere. The best office meltdowns, right? I mean, like captured on video, best public freakouts, right? These are all online for you to go watch. It is a year of these type of things coming out. Uh, articles. Uh, this year alone, I have seen articles that were titled activists outraged, conservatives outraged, dancers outraged, vegans outraged. I have even seen an article titled knitters outraged. <laughs> Everyone is outraged like everyone is. 2016 has actually been dubbed the year of anger. Assuming it's not because we're just now getting mad. It's just we have visual ways of seeing how angry everyone really is. NPR did a report that I listened to um, that was called Anger is All the Rage. Right? I know. Good old NPR guys, right? UC Davis did a study that found one out of five adults has an anger management problem. A Harvard study found that one out of ten adults that has a history of impulsive anger also has access to guns. <laughs> NBC and Esquire did a combined study this year, uh, last year in 2016, that said 49% of Americans, almost half of America, says that they are more angry than they used to be. And social media doesn't really help because their finding was that 55% of those who get their anger out online say they're now angrier than they used to be. So having a place to vent does not seem to be reducing the level of our emotional response. So according to all this, what am I telling you? To? I'm telling you that the easiest thing you will do today is get angry. The easiest thing that you will do today 
is get angry. Before we get into God's word this morning, I want to work on a, on a, a working definition for the rest of the series together and what anger is. If you could just have a phrase that sums up anger, it's very simply, I'm against that. And it works from the big all the way down to the minute. What I mean by that is when we say I'm against that, typically what we'll say is we're taking a position of some wrong that we have either seen or experienced. First step, I'm against that. Secondly, we'll take a stance of disapproval and this feeling of displeasure, this, like, this idea that, man, that's, something's not, this isn't working. And then thirdly, we actually move into action. We say or do something. And so whether I've been cut off in traffic, I take a position of I'm against that. Why? Because I feel that they did not respect me. And then I move into action. Speed up. Right? You don't let them in. You speed up. And you fly in front of them. And you tap your brake just to let them know. I am disapproved disapproved, uh, of what you have done to me. You know? Or it could be on the big world stage of poverty and world hunger. And we lay eyes on something and we go, no, this isn't right. And we take a stand and we move into action. We give or we start being a part of a volunteer organization. All of these things, I'm telling you, I'm against that, is as clear as I can be about when we're angry, this phrase. Because it touches every level in our lives. So we also have to understand that anger is not a sin. I'm not going to ask you this morning or this series to go, you should not get angry. Because that's a lie. In fact, moral sanity suggests that when you see something is wrong, you should get angry. If you see something that's wrong and you're like, eh, that's the sign of a psychopath. It's the sign of someone who's broken inside just as much as someone who rages over the little thing. To be careless about things that we should be angry about, there is something internally broken there as well. So the scriptures do talk about, a lot about anger. Specifically that for us as humans, we don't know how to handle it, so we should avoid it. We're not good with anger because we're marked by sin. You and I have an internal struggle going on that involves the flesh and us wanting to feel justified and right and in the wrong hands and in the wrong way and for the wrong amount of time, we will destroy in our anger. We see God in his eternal position of anger towards sin and disobedience. And oh, how it is right for him to stay in that position And we'll talk more about that. But for you and I to understand that anger is not a sin. We're going to talk about anger in its sinful form, but we will also talk about when anger is good and right. But today, just describing the very real struggle. Our text is in um, the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians is a letter um, that many scholars would consider Paul's crowning achievement Um, Not Paul McCartney, but Paul the Apostle. I want to make sure we're on the same page. But Paul had a history. His name was Saul before Paul. And Saul hated Christians. He hated the church. He hated these people who were followers of the way. And he thought he had every understanding about God in his box. And these followers of Jesus 
did not fit. Jesus, being who he said he was, did not fit in his picture. And so he made it his mission to crush the way, to crush this cult in his mind. Now, what happens is Jesus steps in. Jesus encounters Saul, knocks him off of his high horse, literally, and says, why are you persecuting me? And instead of Jesus destroying Saul, he caused Saul to question everything he knew. And Paul became the greatest voice for those he was actually going to persecute. He was willing to suffer persecution because of his being convinced that Jesus is the way to the Father. And so this letter begins to circulate. It was written to the church at Ephesus, but there are many who believe it was meant to be passed around more and more because of how vague who it's to and all those different things. But the church was meant to read these words. We know how serious Paul is about the people understanding the gospel. First Timothy, he's writing to a young man. He says these words in verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, This is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. I love that. That means if people are going, and if Jason can follow Jesus, I can do that. <laughs> That's what we want people to say. I mean, if you paint yourself on this high horse, people will be like, well, he's following Jesus. I can't do that. But Paul says, man, I am the chief of sinners, and I want people to know that if I can follow him, anyone can. My story is so busted and broken and messed up, but Jesus had mercy on me. And that means you can have it on YouTube. You're invited into that same story. I love his... His words, and this is one of those letters that was written from jail. It's a letter written to the church, and it is a powerful pointer to God's work of reconciliation in Christ. What I mean by that is what was broken and separated has now been repaired and brought back together. Firstly, our relationship with God is restored because of God. What he chose to do, what Christ did on the cross, made it possible to now walk in relationship, a restored relationship with God. But we see very real implications through the rest of the book of Ephesians, and that is, now that you have been united and reconciled to God, you and your homeboys are going to look different. You and the community that you walk in are going to look different. You are going to make unity and purity a priority. You are going to make the unity that is displayed in the body of Christ priority because of how disjointed and disunified the world is. And the reason that's happening and that's possible is because of the reconciling work of Christ. He has brought us back into relationship with him. There are no more walls between him and I. There are no more walls between you and I. And if you're building walls, you haven't gotten that all the walls have been torn down. This is the power of the words written to the church. In very Paul style, he addresses what God has done and what we believe in the book of Ephesians. And then he moves to what would look like belief and action. So let's read starting in verse 17. 
of Ephesians chapter 4. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Let me stop there just for a minute. Paul describes a people who have walked away from God, a people who have only lived for themselves and their pleasures and their appetites, and he's saying, that's how you used to live. He's not saying it was, it's just all these people out there. He's saying, remember, you used to live that way. He used all these past tense words. He says, don't forget, you were confused. You were without hope. You were full of darkness. You, your heart was hard. You saw Nothing as out of bounds. You only wanted pleasure. Past tense. Something has changed. It's not because they don't think like this anymore that they're going to get Christ. It's that they've gotten Christ and now they don't think this way. So there's, a, there's something that's happened. There's a transformation. There's a belief that has happened according to Paul's words by faith. It is a gift from God that none of us could boast is none of our works are worthy of salvation, but it is a free gift that God has given in Christ. This, this was your past. And now, he paints a picture of the new society, the new people who have got this, this, this head who is Jesus, where we fall in as the body of Christ. And he says this, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For you're all parts of the same body. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Father, I ask that as these words, they're your words, they are going to last forever. Um, I pray that they would cut as a surgeon's scalpel cuts and removes the thing that is killing us. Lord, I pray that you would go to the place that only you can, and by your Spirit you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to know what is true and what is a lie. In your name we pray. Amen. I've heard it said that what you talk about communicates what you value. What you spend your money on communicates what you value. And I've heard that your choices communicate what you value, but I also have come to understand that what you get angry over communicates what you value. And I'm not even talking, I don't even want to talk about the injustices that we are seeing in the world yet. We will talk about those things. But I'd like to deal with today is our living with this ever-present, subtle feeling of frustration. We're just always frustrated. Like, that's the nice way of saying I don't have an anger problem, right? We're saying... I'm frustrated. 
Like, that's the passive-aggressive way of saying, I'm angry and I have an issue, but I'm just, I'm frustrated. And we're living this way. We're living frustrated. And this is not living. It's actually being controlled by anger. And if we live according to the scripture, we're to know that nothing is to control our lives except for the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So if we're letting frustration drive, we're actually saying, anger, you have a bigger hold on my life than the Holy Spirit. You're going to be the one who makes this car go. Anger is going to fuel how I interact with everyone and everything I do. But I'm going to cover it up by just saying I'm frustrated. When you or I get angry about everything, or people have to walk on eggshells around you, what that communicates, and this is as baseline as I can get it, what that communicates is that you have a high value of you. You are your top priority. And I know that's hard to to, to really flesh out and to think about. But the truth is, if everyone is walking on eggshells around you, you are your top priority. I know it doesn't feel good. I've had to think about it. I've had to go, man, if I'm about to blow up, it's, it's not them, it's me. It's something going on inside me that I've got to deal with. But you know what? In order to show how powerful I am, I'm just going to blow up on people that I won't have to deal with it. That's not easy to recognize that if we're always frustrated, our top priority is us. And I'll get to some examples with, with for me personally. Um, in my house, there is one sentence that can be spoken that escalates the level of crazy. It's one sentence, and then everything goes to ludicrous speed in my house. And that sentence is seven simple words. It's time to get ready for bed. It's like a magic phrase that casts a spell on anyone under the age of 10 in our house. When I speak this magical phrase, um, one of my children's legs turn to rubber, like the bones disappear completely from inside their legs. Um, One child develops an internal pain in every part of her body. Like every spot. It's like, it's a magic phrase, and it makes that happen. One of my children um, gets up and goes and opens the refrigerator. Like, I didn't ask him to do that, but, it, but it's a magic spell that falls over them. Um, and one of my children will turn the volume up on the TV. Like, I'm assuming it's magic, and it's a magic spell, because no one would willingly choose not to listen to me, correct? I know that for sure. But something also begins to happen to the one who speaks that spell over his family. Um the blood pressure begins to rise in the one who speaks that magic spell out loud. Um, Tones and volumes of the voice begin to get higher and louder. Um, And then the words start to not string goodly together. And the magic spell caster speaks strange curses like, you will never, ever, ever again walk out of your bedroom ever for anything in all times. And then the queen 
speaks to the magic spellcaster and says, Really? Like they'll never come out of their room ever again? <laughs> and in my anger, I can sin. In my anger, I have handled things incorrectly. I have had to apologize and ask for my kids to forgive me. And honestly, at the end of the day, kids not listening to their parents is grounds for a parent to say, I'm against that. And as a parent, you should be against children willingly defying you. And the way we respond to that is appropriate. And it is good for us to respond to that because I don't want my children to grow up knowing that it's okay to disregard everything those who have been put authority in authority over them. That's what it teaches if I don't step up and, stay and say, no, 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 you, you need to listen to your mom and dad. Okay, So I understand a parent being able to say, that's wrong, I'm against that, but there is a right way to handle it. And oftentimes, I do not handle it correctly because I have a high value of me and I know my couch is waiting for me. It's been a long day. There have been a number of things compounding and growing and frustrating and, comp and, and dumping on and being hard. They're difficult on and all these things are happening. And guess who gets the brunt of it at the end of the day? Right? And it's because I have a high value of me. Is my couch worth destroying relationships? Is my couch really enough to have my children believe that all dad does is get angry at bedtime? And at the end of the day, I have to go, no, it's not. And I'm sorry. I responded incorrectly. But my high value of me just shouts at bedtime. There are times in life that we should be angry and offended by wrongs done to us. But the question remains, if, like Bruce Banner, my response is, I'm always angry then am I choosing to walk in the flesh? Am I choosing to reject the, the fruit of the Spirit? Am I choosing to reject the new life in Christ? Am I choosing to push these things away, to be led by lies that I am the most important thing? It is me and then the rest of the world surrounding me and swirls around me. Or have I forgotten what I have learned, heard, and seen in Christ? And at the end of the day, for those who say, I'm His, there is a very good possibility that we have forgotten what we have been shown in Christ. In God's new society, believers are not to sin in their anger, simply put, because it breaks relationships with the body of Christ. If we're quick to anger and retaliation, it is a good indicator that we do not know the grace and the mercy we have been shown by a God who could have said, you know what, your rebellion against me, I'm done with it, you're done. But he did not say those words. He said, because I know you can't control your anger. I know you can't get it together. I know you don't have the discipline to do those things. I know you don't have the strength to do those things. I'm going to do it for you. And I'm going to let it be displayed in the perfect son, Jesus Christ, walking on earth, perfectly displaying anger. He did, as Becca talked about. And we'll talk about what he did 
and why he would get angry. And he will not sin in his anger, but he won't just be the model for what it means to get angry. He'll be the substitute for you on the cross because you can't control your anger. He is the one who took it fully for us on the cross. And he knew you couldn't do it. There is a very real danger in settling into a mood of anger, of frustration, letting it build in us. We, we like to say this, don't we, when we're angry? Whatever. Right? I like to go, whatever. We like to say, serenity now. Right? We do. We, we love those, those phrases, those things that we try and trick our head and our heart into believing we're not angry. Baloney. We're angry. We say, I forgive you to people when we don't mean it. Here's the key. Don't say it until you mean it. Stop pretending. That's what it means to really love one another. It means what I say, I mean. But most of our problems, and I would love for every married couple in this room to be able to say to their, 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 their husband or their wife, I forgive you when you really do. And there may be revisiting that has to go on. I do forgive you. Really, really diving into the gospel, but don't say it until you mean it. Like, I know we've, we've put up this shiny Christian veil in front of us. Like, well, I'm just supposed to forgive you, so I will. Serenity now, insanity later. See, this is what it means to really love one another, not to pretend to love one another. It's to go, no, I'm angry, and I don't want to sin, and I need his help to know how to do that. And if you're one in this room who can't get it together... Seeking counsel is one of the strongest things you can do. I know there's a mentality that people who go to counseling are weak. That's baloney. People who go to counseling are actually strong enough to say the hardest words, I need help. So if you can't get it together on your own, get strong and say, I need help. That's the strongest thing you can do. See, there's a lot of people who like to say, well, me being angry, I show my strength. Garbage. What you show is how weak you are. Because anyone can get angry and explode. A truly strong individual knows what to get angry over, knows where to point that anger, knows how to deal with that anger, and knows what time, how long they should be angry. That's strength. The strength is, is not, you know, Bruce Banner, when he, got, when he turned into the Hulk, it's not because he was strong, it was because he was too weak to actually hold that anger in. To fly off the handle is not a sign of strength. It's actually a sign of weakness. And the very real danger for the believer is that anger will begin to control you. Not letting the sun go down on our anger is a pointer to short lists. The longer the list of the things that make us angry, the longer we take to deal with those things, the more likely we will be controlled by anger and we will sin. It's when we let the lists linger that Paul says in Ephesians 4.27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Although Paul doesn't really clarify what kind of foothold the devil gets on us, what I found most interesting is that he doesn't say the devil makes you angry. 
He doesn't say, it's the devil's fault, you're angry. It's actually something going on in here. The flesh rises up. And when we get angry, should we choose to not deal with it in the way Scripture commands us? It's actually us going, hey Satan, why don't you pull up a place at my table? I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. And you know what? The devil's a liar, so we know how that conversation's going to go. This is a big deal for us. Not letting the sun go down doesn't mean I force myself to have dealt with everything that is involved with that anger before sun goes down. Oh no, the sun's going down. I better hurry up and get it done. No. It's a pointer and an indicator that our lists are to be short. And if we're not dealing with those lists, it just continues to compound, continues to compound, continues to compound. Anger is a complex thing. It's not always my kids that are making me angry. It's other things. There are other issues and, and expectations and experiences and empathy and all of those things. It's, that's why I say it's so complex. We need the Savior to help us navigate what it looks like to be angry appropriately. Paul's words of in our anger, don't sin. Deal with it quickly. Know that the enemy wants a place at the table. All help us to see that reconciliation is that important to God. To the community of faith, because that's how quickly the devil can take a place at your table. Before the sun even goes down, he can cozy right up to you and go, you know what? You should stay angry. Just stay angry. It'll get things done. It'll make changes happen that you need to have happen for you. Oh, I like that. I like that. It's, it's how quickly it can happen. So as we close this morning, I really do, I'm asking for the Lord to give us the ability to do an honest evaluation of ourselves. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says this. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So not elbowing someone next to you or not automatically thinking so-and-so needs to hear this, I'd like to ask you about your anger problem. Would you be one in this room who would say, yes, I know I have an anger problem. I'm discouraged and feel guilty and I need a new helper. Praise God that you can say that. We need a new helper. We can't do it on our own. But maybe you're in this room and you're saying, maybe. But I know others who have a lot bigger anger problem than me. Well, maybe you have a comparing problem. Maybe a little self-righteous problem. Still a problem. <laughs> or maybe you're one who would say, Nope, I don't have an anger problem. I got good reasons to be mad. The other people need to change. Right? The, the, the people who use the buts and because. Every sentence you use is filled with buts and because. You know, because two wrongs make a right. Right? Maybe you're one who'd say, well, I, I might get angry sometimes, but I'm not really an angry person. You know, it's like there's times that I just, it just takes over, and I don't know what to do about it. I just take over, and, and something happens, and I, and I forget who I am. I lose my mind for a minute. Still an anger problem. Maybe you're one in this room who says, I don't see anger as a problem. Gets things done. 
I put up nothing. I put up with nothing, and I'm against all of them. Well, you could be right about what's wrong, but you could be completely wrong in the way you go about it. Maybe you're the one in this room who says, I never get angry. Try to keep anything that might cause a problem at arm's length. I'm numb to most things. I don't react to anything. But honestly, I avoid troubles to keep it peaceful. Where are you on your anger problem? And how do we know whether or not we truly have an anger problem? Look at Jesus. How do we know we've been forgiven and rescued of the sin that we have committed in our anger? Look at Jesus. It's looking at Jesus that we see all of our offenses that could have led to His being against us, but we, in amazing grace and mercy, find a God who in His strength and in every right He had to say, I am against you, He says, I am for you. And in Christ on the cross, He displayed how for us He really was. Romans chapter 5 says this, and you must preach the gospel to yourself if you have an anger issue. You must do it minute by minute. But the gospel is that, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So you know when you freaked out on your children or your spouse or your co-workers or your friends, Christ came and died at that time. Still knowing that you got a problem, still knowing that you're raging on people that don't need to be raged on, but he came, lived the perfect life, displayed perfect anger, but took your sin on the cross while you were still doing it. Fully aware that you would be an angry person. He took it on himself. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. If you struggle with sinning in your anger, you must get face to face with Jesus. If you struggle with sinning in your anger, you need to get with other believers and ask, should I have responded this way or should I respond this way? If you struggle with sinning in your anger, there are relationships that, are, that have already been destroyed, that will be destroyed, and you need to seek the people who can help you out. This is not something that we just handle on our own. We watch the Holy Spirit transform us as we journey this issue with others. We're going to take communion together. We're going to take the bread and the juice that Jesus asks us to remember Him when we take it. And as we go to this table, the, the, the story goes that Leonardo da Vinci was actually working on the Last Supper. He was painting the Last Supper. And one of the guys that was, that was there painting with him did something ridiculous and Leo lost it. Dude just railed on this guy, destroyed him verbally, and the guy left. I mean, just broken. 
And ironically enough, the story, the legend goes that he, Da Vinci went back to painting the face of Jesus right after he just destroyed this man verbally. And he just couldn't paint. The frustration was there. The struggle was there. He just couldn't get focused. He couldn't return to it. And as he was looking at the face of Jesus, he knew he had to put the paintbrush down and he knew he had to go be reconciled with this dude. And the story goes that he did do those things. He made it right. He apologized, sought forgiveness. And then he went back to looking at the face of Jesus, painting. As we go to this communion table this morning, for those in Christ, it is a reminder that he took my anger, my sinful anger on him. Me at my worst, he took it and he canceled the record of charges against us by nailing it to the cross. As a Christ follower, when we go to this table, we're not saying we're more spiritual, we're better than, we're more holy, more, more righteous. We're saying we're forgiven and that new life has come. So if you're in this room this morning, I, I want to I ask you to consider the table that you walk to. And in your anger, have you sinned? And are there relationships that need to be reconciled because this bread and this juice is symbolic of our reconciliation with God? but it also is the fuel of reconciliation with each other. Parents are their children that you need to get down on their level, look them in the eye and say, I've sinned in my anger, and I'm asking your forgiveness. Husbands, wives, friendships, work co-workers, just say the words. The enemy would love to keep you separated, but what if the words were spoken and reconciliation happened and the Holy Spirit was able to drive? How would your family look? How would your relationships look? I believe that's the way we're meant to live. Not by our own strength, but when we go to this table, that's the strength. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ, shed for the forgiveness of sinners. Father, we love you. And I just ask that you would help us. Lord, in our anger, we sin. Lord, in our anger, we say and do the wrong thing. And I ask that we would confess that to you, firstly. We would let our pride go because we truly do want to see reconciliation happen. God, we want to be your people so bad, but we can't do it without you. So may your presence and your kingdom be made known in our hearts as we walk the very difficult and complex emotion of anger. It's in your name we pray.